Act Two of Sweethearts by W.S. Gilbert. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two. Scene. The same as in Act One, with such additions and changes as may be supposed to have taken place in thirty years. The house, which was bare in Act One, is now entirely covered with Virginia and other creepers. The garden is much more fully planted than in Act One, and trees that were small in Act One are tall and bushy now. The general arrangement of the garden is the same, except that the sycamore planted in Act One has developed into a large tree, the boughs of which roof in the stage. The landscape has also undergone a metamorphosis, inasmuch as that which was open country in Act I is now covered with picturesque semi-detached villas, and there are indications of a large town in the distance. The month is September, and the leaves of the Virginia creepers wear their autumn tint. Jenny discovered seated on a bench at the foot of the tree, and Ruth is standing by her side, holding a skein of cotton which Jenny is winding. Jenny is now a pleasant-looking, middle-aged lady. Have you any fault to find with poor Tom? No, miss, I've no fault to find with Tom, but a girl can't marry every young man she don't find fault with, can she now, miss? Certainly not, Ruth, but Tom seems to think you have given him some cause to believe that you are fond of him. Ruth bridling up. It's like his impudence, miss, to say so. Fond of him, indeed. He hasn't said so, Ruth, but I'm quite sure he thinks so. I have noticed of late that you have taken a foolish pleasure in playing fast and loose with poor Tom, and this has made him very unhappy, very unhappy indeed, so much so that I think it is very likely he will make up his mind to leave my service altogether. Ruth peeked. Oh, miss, if Tom can make up his mind to go, I'm sure I wouldn't stand in his way for worlds. But I think you would be very sorry if he did. Oh, yes, miss. I should be sorry to part with Tom. Then I think it's only right to tell you that the foolish fellow talks about enlisting for a soldier, and if he does it at all, he will do it tonight. Ruth, with some emotion. Oh, miss, for that I do like Tom very much indeed. But if he wants to list, of course he's his own master. And if he's really fond of me... What does he want to go enlist for? <laughs> One would think he would like to be where he could talk to me and look at me. Odd times. I'm sure I don't want Tom to go enlist. Then take the advice of an old lady who knows something of these matters, and tell him so before it's too late, you foolish, foolish girl. Ah, Ruth, I've no right to be hard on you. I've been a young and foolish girl like yourself in my time, and I've done many thoughtless things that I've learnt to be very sorry for. I'm not reproaching you, but I'm speaking to you out of the fullness of my experience, and take my word for it, if you treat poor Tom lightly, he may live to be very sorry for it too. Taking her hand. There, I'm not angry with you, my dear, but if I'd taken the advice I'm giving you, I shouldn't be a lonely old lady at a time of life when a good husband has his greatest value. 
Ring. Go and see who's at the gate. Exit Jenny. Ruth goes to the gate, wiping her eyes on her apron. She opens it. Enter Spreadbrow, now Sir Henry. My dear, is this Mr. Braybrooks? Yes, sir. Is he at home? No, sir, he is not, but mistress is. Will you give your mistress my card? Feeling for his card case. Dear me, I've left my cards at home. Never mind. Will you tell your mistress that a gentleman will be greatly indebted to her if she will kindly spare him a few minutes of her time? Do you think you can charge yourself with that message? Mistress is in the garden, sir. I'll run and tell her if you'll take a seat. Exit Ruth. That's a good girl. He sits on seat. I couldn't make up my mind to pass the old house without framing an excuse to take a peep at it. Looks round. Very nice. Very pretty. But, dear me, on a very much smaller scale than I fancied. Remarkable changes in thirty years. Rises and walks round trees, looking about. Why, the place is a town, and a railway runs right through it. And this is really the old garden in which I spent so many pleasant hours. Poor little Jenny, I wonder what's become of her. Pretty little girl, but with a tendency to stoutness. If she's alive, I'll be bound she's fat. So this is Mr. Braybrooks, is it? I wonder who Braybrook is. I don't remember any family of that name hereabouts. Looking off. This, I suppose, is Mrs. Braybrook. Now, how in the world am I to account for my visit? Enter Jenny. She curtsies formally. He bows. I beg your pardon. I hardly know how to explain this intrusion. Perhaps I better state my facts. They will plead my apology. I am an old Indian civilian who having returned to England after many years' absence, is whiling away a day in his native place and amusing himself with polishing old memories, bright enough once, but sadly tarnished, sadly tarnished. Indeed, may I hope that you have succeeded? Indifferently well, indifferently well. The fact is, I hardly know where I am, for all my old landmarks are swept away. I assure you I am within the mark when I say that this house is positively the only place I can identify. The town has increased very rapidly of late. Rapidly? When I left, there were not twenty houses in the place. But... Politely. That was long before your time. I left a village, I find a town. I left a beadle... I find a mayor and corporation. <laughs> I left a pump. I find a statue to a borough member. The inn is a palace hotel company. The almshouse a county jail. The pound is a police station. And the common a colony of semi-detached bungalows. Everything changed, including myself. Everything new. Except myself. <laughs> I shall be glad to offer you any assistance in my power. I should be a good guide, for I have lived here thirty-two years. Thirty-two years? 
is it possible then surely i ought to know you he feels for his glasses my name is spreadbrow sir henry spreadbrow spreadbrow putting on spectacles is it possible why my very dear old friend offering both her hands don't you recollect me spreadbrow he puts on his double eyeglass takes both her hands god bless me is it possible and this is really you you don't say so dear me dear me well 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 i assure you i am delighted most unaffectedly delighted to renew our friendship shaking hands again they sit under tree and look at each other curiously not changed a bit my dear jane you really must allow me they shake hands again and now tell me how is mr braybrook jenny rather surprised oh mr braybrook is very well i expect him home presently he will be very glad to see you for he has often heard me speak of you has he indeed it will give me the greatest the very greatest possible pleasure believe me very emphatically to make his acquaintance jenny still surprised at his emphatic manner i'm sure he will be delighted now tell me all about yourself any family jenny puzzled i beg your pardon any family mr braybrook well yes mr braybrook is a bachelor a bachelor then let me understand am i not speaking to mrs braybrook no indeed you are not <laughs> much amused mr braybrook is my nephew the place belongs to him now oh then my dear jane may i ask who you are i am not married not married no i keep house for my nephew why you don't mean to sit there and look me in the face and tell me after thirty years that you are still jane northbrook jenny rather hurt at the mistake northcott northcott of course i beg your pardon i should have said northcott and you are not mrs braybrook you are not even married why what were they about what were they about not married well now do you know i am very sorry to hear that i am really more sorry and disappointed than i can tell you she looks surprised and rather hurt you'd have made an admirable wife jane and an admirable mother i can't tell you how sorry i am to find that you are still jane northbrook i should say northcott the same in name much changed in everything else sighing changed not a bit i won't hear of it i knew you the moment i saw you we are neither of us changed mellowed perhaps a little mellowed but what of that who shall say that the blossom is pleasanter to look upon than the fruit not i for one jane 
not i for one time has dealt very kindly with us but we're old folks now henry spreadbrow rises i won't allow it jane i won't hear it rises what constitutes youth a head of hair not at all i was as bald as an egg at five-and-twenty babies are always bald eyesight some people are born blind years years are an arbitrary impertinence am i an old man or you an old woman because the earth contrives to hurry round the sun in three hundred and sixty-five days why saturn can't do it in thirty years if i had been born on saturn i should be two years old ma'am a public nuisance in petticoats let us be thankful that i was not born on saturn no no as long as i can ride to cover twice a week walk my five-and-twenty miles without turning a hair go to bed at twelve get up at six turn into a cold tub and like it i'm a boy jane a boy a boy and you are still unmarried i oh dear yes very much so no time to think of marriage plenty of opportunity mind but no leisure to avail myself of it i've had a bustling time of it i assure you jane working hard at the bar and on the bench with some success with some success sits again and now that i've done my work i throw myself back in my easy chair fold my hands cross my legs and prepare to enjoy myself life is before me and i'm going to begin it <laughs> and so we are really jane norcott still still jane northcott i'm indignant to hear it i assure you that i am positively indignant to hear it you would have made some fellow so infernally happy rises i'm sorry for that fellow's sake i don't know him but still i am sorry ah i wish i had remained in england i do wish for the very first time since i left it that i had remained in england indeed and why why because i should have done my best to remove that reproach from society i should indeed jane <laughs> after all it don't much matter for you wouldn't have had me oh yes you had no idea of it but you know i've a great mind to tell you i will tell you do you know i was in love with you at one time boy and girl you know boy and girl <laughs> you'd no idea of it but i was jenny in wonder oh yes i knew it very well Sprebro, much astonished you knew it you knew that i was attached to you why of course i did did you indeed bless me you don't say so now that's amazingly curious leave a woman alone to find that out it's instinctive 
positively instinctive now my dear jane i'm a very close student of human nature and in pursuit of that study i should like above all things to know by what signs you detected my secret admiration for you takes her hand why bless the man there was no mystery in the matter you told me all about it i told you all about it certainly you did here in this garden that i admired you loved you most assuredly surely you have not forgotten it he drops her hand i haven't i remember that i had the impertinence to be very fond of you i forgot that i had the impertinence to tell you so ah, i remember it now i made a fool of myself i remember it by that i told you that i adored you didn't i that you were as essential to me as the air i breathed that it was impossible to support existence without you that your name should be the most hallowed of earthly words and so forth <laughs> my dear jane before i'd been a week on board i was saying the same thing to a middle-aged governess whose name has entirely escaped me she has exhibited signs of pleasure during the earlier parts of this speech and disappointment at the last two lines what fools we make of ourselves and of others oh i meant it jane i meant every word i said to you and the governess and the governess i would have married you jane and the governess and the governess i'd have married her if she had accepted me but she didn't perhaps it was as well she was a widow with five children i cursed my destiny at the time but i've forgiven it since i talked of blowing out my brains i'm glad i didn't do it as i found them useful in my profession <laughs> looking round jenny stands watching him the place has changed a great deal since my time improved improved we've all three improved i don't quite like this tree though it's in the way what is it a kind of beech isn't it no it's a sycamore <laughs> i don't understand english trees but it's a curious place for a big tree like this just outside the drawing-room window isn't it in the way it is rather in the way i don't like a tree before a window it checks the current of fresh air don't you find that it does check the current of fresh air then the leaves blow into the house in autumn and that's a nuisance and besides it impedes the view it is certainly open to these objections then cut it down my dear jane why don't you cut it down cut it down i wouldn't cut it down for worlds that tree is identified in my mind with many happy recollections remarkable the influence exercised by associations over a woman's mind observe you take a house mainly because it commands a beautiful view you apportion the rooms principally with reference to that view 
you lay out your garden at great expense to harmonize with that view and having brought that view into the very best of all possible conditions for the full enjoyment of it you allow a gigantic and wholly irrelevant tree to block it all out for the sake of the sentimental ghost of some dead and gone sentimental reality take my advice and have it down if i had had anything to do with it you would never have planted it i shouldn't have allowed it you had so much to do with it that it was planted there at your suggestion at mine never saw it before in my life we planted it together thirty years ago the day you sailed for india it appears to me that that was a very eventful day in my career we planted it together i have no recollection of having ever planted a gigantic sycamore anywhere and we did it together why it would take a dozen men to move it it was a sapling then you cut it for me Spripro, suddenly and with energy from the old sycamore in the old garden at hampstead why i remember i went to london expressly to get it for you <laughs> laughing sitting on her left and the next day i called to say good-bye and i found you planting it and i helped and as i was helping i found an opportunity to seize your hand does so i grasped it pressed it to my lips does so and said my dear dear jenny he drops her hand suddenly and so forth never mind what i said but i meant it i meant it <laughs> laughs heartily she joins him but her laughter is evidently forced eventually she shows signs of tears which he doesn't notice it all comes back with a distinctness which is absolutely photographic i begged you to give me a flower you gave me one a sprig of geranium mignonette was it mignonette i think you're right it was mignonette i seized it pressed it to my trembling lips placed it next my fluttering heart and swore that come what might i would never never part with it i wonder what i did with that flower and then i took one from my buttonhole begged you to take it you took it and <laughs> you threw it down carelessly on the table and thought no more about it you heartless creature <laughs> oh i was very angry i remember it perfectly it was a camellia jenny half crying aside not a camellia i think yes a camellia a large white camellia i don't think it was a camellia i rather think it was a rose nonsense jane come come you hardly looked at it miserable little flirt that you were and you pretend after thirty years to stake your recollection of the circumstance against mine no no jane take my word for it it was a camellia i'm sure it was a rose no i'm sure it was a camellia 
Jenny in tears. Indeed, indeed it was a rose. Produces a withered rose from a pocketbook. He is very much impressed. Looks at it and her and seems much affected. Why, Jane, my dear Jane, you don't mean to say that this is the very flower. That is the very flower. Rising. Strange. You seemed to attach no value to it when I gave it to you. You threw it away as something utterly insignificant. And when I leave, you pick it up and keep it for thirty years. Rising. My dear Jane, how like a woman. And you seized the flower I gave you, pressed it to your lips, and swore that wherever your good or ill fortune might carry you, you would never part with it, and, and you quite forgot what became of it. My dear Harry, how like a man. I was deceived, my dear Jane, deceived. I had no idea that you attached so much value to my flower. We were both deceived, Henry Spreadbrow. Then is it possible that in treating me as you did, Jane, you were acting a part? We were both acting parts, but the play is over, and there's an end of it. With assumed cheerfulness. Let us talk of something else. No, no, Janet, the play is not over. We will talk of nothing else. The play is not nearly over. Music in Orchestra John Anderson, my Joe. My dear Jane. Rising and taking her hand. My very dear Jane. Believe me, for I speak from my hardened old heart, so far from the play being over, the serious interest is only just beginning. He kisses her hand. They walk towards the house. End of Act Two. End of Sweethearts by W. S. Gilbert